This is episode number 19 with Tom Cronin. Welcome to the Females in Tech show, where we help women in tech to live a balanced and purposeful life through a career in information technology. My name is Tamara and I am the founder of Fit Collective. In this podcast, I'll explore the challenges females face working in a corporate environment and how to overcome them. Beyond technology, I will also dive deep into self-care practices, how they can improve your physical and mental well-being and the importance of balancing work and relationships for a sustainable and rewarding career. In this episode, I interview Tom Cronin. Tom spent 26 years in finance markets as one of Sydney's leading bond and swap brokers. He discovered meditation in the early stages of his career, when the anxiety and chaos he was experiencing hit a crisis point. Meditation completely transformed his world, both personally and professionally. Today, Tom's mission is to inspire 1 billion people to meditate daily and achieve stillness. His work in transformational leadership and cultivating inner peace through meditation takes him around the world as a speaker, presenting keynotes, hosting retreats, and teaching. Tom is the author of six books and is co-creator of the Portal documentary, book, and app created as a part of a bold global vision to overcome the chronic levels of anxiety, depression, PTSD, and trauma the world is facing today. In this episode, we cover Tom's journey from stockbroker to meditation coach, including how meditation helped him overcome anxiety, agoraphobia, and depression, why business executives are introducing meditation into their daily lives, we talk about an awakened leader and what it means to become one, Tom explains Vedic meditation and how it differs from other meditation practices, Tom shares the best way to start practicing meditation. We talk about the recent launch of his documentary and book, The Portal and Partner App. And finally, but not least, Tom shares his advice on how to overcome fear. This is so powerful. Hey, beautiful. This episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic when most of the world was in home isolation. Unfortunately, that put extraordinary demands on our internet connectivity, which means there are sections of this episode where the sound quality is not 100%, so I apologize in advance. It's still a great episode overall, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Welcome, Tom. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. It is an absolute honor because you have changed my life. How long was it now? Is it two oh, years? Two years, yeah, it'd be close to 18 months, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, so I'm very, very grateful to have you on the show, so welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm always blessed to be in your company and it's, yeah, it's just an honour to be on the show, so thanks for inviting me along. Aww. Now, before we get kick-started, I do start my podcast with two opening questions and the first one being, what are you grateful for today? Uh, I'm grateful for... I'd suggest my family who I just had breakfast with, you know, it's just always just joy and lightness being in their company. So that's one thing that I'm really honored and grateful to have in my life. So beautiful. And not a lot of people have the opportunity to sit down and have breakfast together. So what a beautiful practice that you have together. And my second question is, can you tell us about a recent achievement or something that you're proud of? 
I would have to say producing a film, a book, an app and an online masterclass all in the space of a short period of time, which <laughs> nearly killed me, I must admit. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, grateful that that's completed. That's another thing that I'm grateful for. But also, yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it was such an uh, incredible journey and a very challenging process to go through to put all of those things together. You know, most people you know, put all their energy into just a film or just an app or just a book or just a masterclass. But I decided that we'd do all of this all at once. And so I probably did underestimate the workload. Uh, it was pretty intense, but um, grateful that it's all finished now. And now it's about getting it out to the world. Mm, and it is such a beautiful film. And I'm looking forward to talking about that a little bit later in our podcast episode. But before we get started and start talking about meditation and how that can improve your focus and productivity, can you share with the listeners your journey from corporate life to being a meditation coach? Yeah, you know, I was a broker in finance. So if anyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, they'll have a bit of a picture about what things were like for me. I mean, I literally started in 1987 and it was a really crazy time in global finance markets. 1987 was actually the year that we had the the big um, share market crash. And I kind of started at the, the very beginning of that year, January the 1st, 1987. And the markets were just crazy busy. And it was the year that we had Wall Street, which is Bud Fox and Gordon Gecko. the movie came out. It was the year that Bonfire the Vanity's book came out, which was about Sherman McCoy, who was a bomb broker extraordinaire, master of the universe, he called himself. And then it was the year that uh, Jordan Belfort actually started his career uh, as the Wolf of Wall Street. And he was 22 and I was 19. And I started my career in that year as well. So a lot of things were kind of all happening in 1987 around markets and finance and media. So, um, you know, it was a really exciting time for me. It was just so adrenaline pumped. You know, you're 19 years old and 20 and 21. And, you know, you're in this incredibly exciting, lots of money, lots of, you know, lavish sort of lifestyle. I was given a corporate Amex card to just go and have unlimited you know, abandoned with using that to take clients out. So we're in the top bars and restaurants and wine clubs. And I had a fancy sports car that the company had given me. So it was really exciting and fast times and fast money. But, you know, this wear and tear just started to really show up in my life. And I ended up getting severe anxiety and depression. I'd really, at that point in time, just to give you the full spectrum of the story, late 80s, early 90s, uh, there was a lot of drugs in the industry. And I really got involved in a lot of that. I'm really have a sensitive body. So I had some very, you know, strong, but good reactions, good as in high experiences from those drugs. So that obviously made it a very addictive thing for me. And that eventually led to this major sort of downturn in my nervous system, which was a a pretty much a nervous breakdown at the age of 29. And so that was really a really deep, dark night of the soul for me uh, where I was facing extreme panic attacks, debilitating, crushing panic attacks, extreme anxiety, insomnia, a really dark depression. Uh, I was really contemplating whether I wanted to go on with life. Uh, I was very lost, felt very lonely, very much out of, you know, alignment with where I should have been. I mean, just, just felt really lost and just in a job that I didn't connect with an audience I didn't connect with. Just, it was a really lost person. Um, and it was in that time that I found meditation. You know, it was, uh, I was seeing psychiatrists and put on pharmaceutical drugs and seeing doctors and put on suicide watch and sent to clinics. Um, but 
it was like a divine intervention. You know, I was at home watching a documentary and I came across this story about a businessman and I was watching the story about him because he was a very successful businessman and I was interested in that side of the story. But they touched on a really tiny slither of that story that he used meditation to, you know, help him with his success. And they showed a scene of him while he was doing the voiceover, him sitting in a chair in a suit meditating. And at this point, I developed agoraphobia. So I was having leave from work. I was sitting at home all day, literally trying to recover mentally, physically, emotionally. And um, when I saw that, it was like a light went on for me and really felt like something that's just triggered inside me that that was a pathway I needed to explore. So that was the early stages of me becoming, you know, attracted to meditation, Eastern philosophy. And it was literally a, a game-changing moment for me. Uh, it really was a major fork in the road. So at that point, I really went down that path of meditating every day, twice a day, doing retreats, studying a lot of the philosophies, ancient texts, spirituality, um, devoured book after book and course after course. And then eventually was so after many, many years back in the job, I went back to the job and continued on for 16 more years as a meditating, non-drinking, non-drug-taking broker. Um, eventually to be so inspired by the impact meditation was having on my life and the people's lives around me that I was recommending to go and learn to meditate that I decided to become a teacher and, and do that full time. So That's beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful that was I loved how open and heartwarming that story was it just shows that although at a point you can have a lot of challenges like yourself but it did put you onto this beautiful path of becoming a meditation coach and being more in alignment of your true self so thank you for sharing do you I'm out I'm interested when you were meditating whilst being in a corporate life how was the vibe of the office were they open to you practicing meditation and not drinking or were they a little bit judgmental what was it like yeah you know you're talking about a very extreme uh corporate environment probably one of the most extreme out there you know mm. you've got law you've got accounting you've got finance and then you've got the trading room floors so the training room floors, uh, particularly back then, was just literally 150 men yelling and screaming. There probably were but two or three women on the floor. This changed a lot now, thank goodness. It's gone through quite a revolution. But um, back then, it was very, very masculine, very male-dominated, very sort of blokey-blokey. It's like, you know, you, there were fisticuffs and punch-ups and all sorts of, you know, back then in the 80s, we even had got crazy, crazy things like strippers coming on the floor and for anyone's birthday. It would happen like, you know, nearly every week just about. It was crazy times. It was real wild, wild west to the finance industry. But um, things evolved luckily over time and things improved. But um, when I started meditating, I really kept it under wraps. It's not like I shared it with anyone. You know, It was very difficult for me to obviously have to ring up my company and let them know I had mental health problems and I can go to work. Like that alone was like, what the heck? Like get your ass in here. You know, they were actually pretty good to be honest with you. They were very understanding and very um accepting of the situation but when i started meditating it was definitely a point of difference um particularly when we had golf weekends away um you know you'd play golf from seven in the morning and most guys were drinking in that first round and then you'd go and watch the horse racing in the pub for the afternoon and then you have a big massive night out so over time not wanting to participate in that activity 
was definitely creating a point of conflict and a point of difference. Anytime in any relationship where we create a point of difference, then we're, we're fragmenting the, the, the relationship and the connection. And that's what I was doing. It was my fault, not theirs. There was nothing wrong with what they were doing. I was the one that was creating that fragmentation by being the point of difference. So I respected that and understood that. So I would try to integrate as much as possible, but it definitely um, in the early days was a, a major point of difference and was very difficult. So I did try not to sort of put it too much in their faces, but it, at times I, I know I made people uncomfortable with that. Thank you for sharing. And do you think that meditation actually helped you in your career at the time? Yeah, hundred percent. It, it definitely did. Uh, it, in some respects, it, it caused some point of difference and, and, um, I know that played out in some ways in, in the community that I was in um, and probably had some negative effect on my career. Um, you know, when you're not out there till four in the morning, then you're kind of not one of the guys. Um, so I definitely was isolated a little bit, but it helped me have sustainability. And it's not like, you know, everyone that's in that career for a long time have to meditate. There's some guys doing amazing work and very sustainable careers that still drink and live a normal lifestyle as a broker. But um, for me, it allowed me to have a healthy, sustainable career and definitely, I think, reach some very um, successful levels in my career as um, it helps me with productivity, it helped me with my vitality, it helped me with being happy. And, you know, uh, when you're dealing in a, in a career that is relationship-based, that's with clients, um, you know, being happy and healthy is a lot more inspiring than not. So that, that I think, played a big part as well. Oh, absolutely. I know for me and a lot of the listeners who work in tech, it is such a fast paced industry and you constantly feel like you have to catch up with the latest tech releases. And before I practiced meditation, I honestly felt so exhausted. And by the time it got to the weekend, I was completely smashed and needed to sleep and rest and really nurture myself. And now that I practice meditation, I feel like I can sustain that energy a lot longer. And I have this sense of stillness and calmness and it transpires into the way that I do business with some of our customers. I'm no longer, well, sometimes yes, but no longer as reactive and can sit and really listen and see what the underlying issue is before I take a response as an example. So I completely resonate with you. So thank you for sharing. Now, what are, there's, there's a bit of a shift and from the Vedic workshop meditation course that I did with you, you mentioned that there were a lot of corporate executives interested in meditation. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think two things. One is um, because the science is much more available. Uh, you know, we didn't have this in the eighties, you know, there was not really, there was a little bit of science, but not much. Now that science is really mainstream and it's published in scientific journals and time magazine and you know it's just generally become a lot more accepted a lot more known that if you have a very good mental health space you have a good nervous system space then you have a good physiology space and you just become a lot more productive and a lot more successful at what you do and some of the top leaders in the world it's been known use meditation as one of their tools to you know, thrive at being at the top so that was one of the things that i think has played a big part in the corporate sector embracing meditation but lost it we would touch status and become just very science-based. And secondly, I think need of the time. You know, people without question are becoming under a lot more pressure. Um, the demands on our nervous system and our mind to process a lot more information these days. You know, 
uh, I took an audience uh, that I was a corporate audience through the day um, in the life of a worker in 1979. I just picked 1979 because it was a year that, you know, we didn't have internet, we didn't have phones, mobile phones, we didn't have Walkmans, you know. So, and if you take them through in short, uh, through a day in the life of a worker in 1979, there was so little interaction. You know, there wasn't even a computer at work. You know, you either did typewriting or you're in a meeting discussing things or writing something down. And on the way to work, in your lunch break, on the way home from work, you're literally either reading the paper or reading a book. So you're being very single focused. Um, and there's these days, you know, you've done emails, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, Voxer before you even have your shower. You know? <laughs> it's like it's 7.30, you know. And so um, it's, just, it's just an epidemic really of overwhelm mm. for our nervous systems and our minds. And <clears throat> for us to survive at the top, we need to be able to create window time, <clears throat> excuse me, that we can um, space out and have a break from that overwhelm and that processing of information. Yeah. And meditation is one of those ways to do that. Otherwise, it's very rare that they're going to compartmentalize a window of time to just sit and be. Absolutely. And you often refer to an awakened leader. What is that? <laughs> I think it's one that is coming from a place of a deeper sense of awareness where we have, if you think of um, our vehicle, which is what we perceive ourselves to be. We have a physical form, which is our body. We have an emotional form, which is our feeling body. And that's the sensations we have in the body. We have a mental form and that's the way the mind works. And the, the mind is a coded piece of apparatus that is a software program that we get before we even come into this world. So it's coded by our parents and our lineage with a particular way of functioning. So you'll say things that sound like your mother or, think things and have a personality trait like your father. That's the coding you get given along with the physical code. You get a software and a hardware code. So just as my phone has an iOS operating system and then it has the hard body as well. And we want to update the hardware system and we want to update the software system. But it's not the only functionality of the phone. This phone is limited by its iOS software, but it also has the capacity to access a field of intelligence that's outside the phone right? The phone becomes a device to capture an infinite source of intelligence and information, which is all around the phone. Now mm. this phone is more than just the intelligence within the phone, which is a limited software. And it's more than just the hardware. It's accessing a field. And an awakened leader is one that is aware and conscious of the field of wisdom and intelligence that's not in us, it's around us. And they tap into that and they can utilize that. So, um, then they become a much more aware of their, their relationship with the world around them and their responsibility of that engagement with the world around them. And they start to see and realize that they're actually part of a connected field, just as the wave is actually part of the ocean. And so that their actions, their thoughts, their words, their actions actually influence more than just their immediate environment. And so it's about having responsibility for that and, 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 recognizing that and seeing how they can make a positive impact. Mm, I love that. And funnily enough, we're in a really bizarre time with the bushfires, the floods, COVID-19. And I've felt this, I'm not sure if it was because of the meditation, uh, Monday night meditation I did with you and you spoke about the shift or the tipping point. And 
I've been thinking more about the awakened leader and how we can use this time to make or help push and make that shift of thinking about doing business differently or thinking about how we interact with society differently, thinking about how we use social media differently. And it's once you tap into that, it's such a beautiful connection to start making a massive transformation globally. I, um, I, I get really emotional about it and it's really, it's a really beautiful concept to keep in your mind and as an individual, whether you are leading a team or whether you're just an individual contributor to think about before developing a product or, you know, consulting with another customer or interacting with society. Yeah, it's, it's a really important phase shift that we're going through now where we have to pivot from having one dimensional business models. A one dimensional business model is bottom line. Mm. And uh, a two and a three dimensional business model is bottom line. Um, The community that work in the process of creating that bottom line, that's my staff. And then the third dimension is um, how our business and the effect of our business plays out in the society as a whole. Mm. So if, if my business model um, is about the bottom line and just about the bottom line, then I can reap and pillage whatever I want just to make sure that that bottom line thrives. And if that's a one dimensional perspective and that's where business has been for quite some time, um, a two dimensional one, like, well, let's take into account, you know, our staff, make sure that they're well looked after and they're in a good place and they're healthy and they're happy. But the third dimension is like, you know, do we really want to rip the guts out of this rainforest? So, so that our bottom line can get, you know, to where we want it to be, or does what? What is our recycling situation? What is our environmental impact? What is, um, you know, our longer-term strategy for, you know, humanity? You know, how do we contribute to the masses? Can we potentially, you know, support an orphanage in India, or, um, you know, plant more trees in the in a desert, or something like that? So it's about really recognizing the interconnectedness uh, and the relationship between all of those three things. And that's where we're going to see businesses start to play a much bigger role. And we can compromise the bottom line. Um, Hopefully, we should be looking to compromise the bottom line a little bit for the connectivity and the the impact of the whole. Because in the end, your bottom line, which is where we're at now, is going to get compromised anyway. Yeah. It's just going to take a longer time, but at some point it's going to get compromised because your your business model is just not sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. Look at Easter Island, for instance. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think... corporations need to make this shift and start thinking, how am I serving my customers? Am I actually building something that they need or am I building something to get them distracted? You know, or is this something that they really want? And I think corporates need to, or leaders need to start thinking about that and how their decisions are actually impacting us as a society. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope we get that shift happening. Yeah. (laughs) Now you're a Vedic meditation coach. What is Vedic meditation for the listeners who don't know? It's an ancient art form of stilling the mind and it has two benefits. Um, It's a particular practice of meditation where we utilize these primordial sounds or vibrations as a device to quiet the mind down. It's not the natural tendency of the mind to quieten down or be still. It's not the natural tendency of the mind to not engage in the outside world, to be thinking and processing information. It's not the tendency of the mind to, um, to not go into the future and the past. So we need 
a practice and a device to help it get into these quieter states so we can meditate. And so we use these things called mantras and they're particular mantras that have a quality about them to move the mind to the subtle and away from the gross. That's to go towards stillness and silence instead of to noise and stimulation. And um, there's a number of different, um, I guess, tech, uh, not techniques, but um, different organizations that use this technique. There's Art of Living, Transcendental Meditation, Deepak Chopra's Primordial Sound Technique, Vedic Meditation, all very similar, where they recognize that the use of these sounds can take the mind to the subtle and the quiet. So the reason why the two we want to do this is two, twofold. One is because when the mind becomes less active, i.e. moves into stillness, then we see a phenomenal shift physiologically in the body that enables a profoundly deep state of rest, which activates a healing process. So the physiology starts to heal, the nervous system, the biochemistry. It's quite profound and phenomenal what can happen. That's what happened to me. All my anxiety, depression, insomnia, agoraphobia, panic attacks all simply melted away because they were symptoms of being in a sympathetic stressed state within the body. And meditation very quickly brings the body into the, uh, the parasympathetic or the peace state. And then those symptoms, which is a result of long-term stress response, having the body just melt away. So physiologically, it's profoundly impacting. But on a second level, and a second reason why it's so important is because it, it's like coming back to that internet analogy, it opens our mind up to the field of infinite possibility. We access the field of wisdom and awareness that's all around us. And we start to... Um, connect to a deeper level of who we are, uh, a sense of being and a sense of almost divinity that's within us. And it's, it's still, it's calm, it's profound, it's powerful, and it's always there. It's just that uh, it's so subtle, we're not usually aware of its existence. And so this is a, a gateway or what I like to call the portal to accessing that field that's there at all times. Mm, so beautiful. And I think I might might just share my story with meditation before I met you, Tom, and I'm so grateful I met you and you walked into my life. I tried practicing guided meditation and, you know, different meditation apps, but I just felt like I couldn't have that deep sense of connection until it was within the first day of being in your workshop that I felt that sense of connection or at least getting there a little bit. So what, what is the difference, I guess, of someone who's practicing guided meditation versus Vedic meditation? With things like guided meditation, thinking meditations, contemplation meditations, we haven't actually gone beyond. We, we want to transcend. And they're all benefit. There are many benefits to those meditations, and I don't want to dismiss the importance of them. Mm. But we also don't want to exclude our ability to access who we are without the ego, who we are without the identity, because that's going to leave us falling short of our experience of fundamental reality. And that just as water expresses itself as in its most densest form, as liquid water, as steam, and then vapor, we also have physical form, emotional form, mental form, but we also have the unbounded formlessness of experience, which is uh, our subtlest level of our reality. And it's pure, it's what we call pure consciousness. So it's awareness without thinking. It's you without the story. And you without the story is, is, is invincible, it's powerful, it's needless, it's um, timeless. 
and it's expressed as a human experience in the, I guess, the dynamic of bliss, love, and joy. Mm, I love that so much. And what's the best way to get started with a meditation practice? Yeah, you know, I always suggest um, to find a teacher in your local vicinity, if you can, that's going to be able to teach you in person how to meditate using these deep transcending styles. And like I mentioned, those four different, you know, organizations, you know, Primordial Sound Technique, uh, Art of Living, Transcendental Meditation, Vedic Meditation. Hopefully in your vicinity, you might be able to find one teacher in, in, in that, one of those groups that might be around you. Now, the problem with that is that, A, it's expensive because that person's, you know, putting their time aside to teach you. Then, you know, generally a lot of their people, that's their job. So they do need to pay, uh, charge for that. Um, just as a plumber charges for his service or a doctor or a flight attendant. So um, that is their profession and that's why they charge for their time. Uh, you're not paying for the technique, you're paying for their time to teach you the technique. Um, and they've gone through a lot of training for that. Um, if you can't access a teacher or can't afford a teacher, then um, you, know, you could look at, there's not many, but you could look at online programs um, uh, where you, know, you could learn the similar sort of style of meditations. We have one on our website, um, which is, quite new for the world to have the capacity to learn that in an affordable way in the comfort of your own home. So we've got people in remote islands north of Finland and in you know Mexico and in Venezuela and in Kenya that couldn't access a teacher. Most of them are in very trendy suburbs like Santa Monica or Paddington. Um, and so, you know, they're not all around the world and not everyone can afford them. So there's that ability to learn online through a 21 day program we created. Um, and then from there, if they can't access or don't want to access it, there's just a ton of free stuff on YouTube. You know, we've got free meditations on our app, Enter the Portal, um, which are just some really nice guided meditations, which are going to be helpful. Um, so you could just start with those. Absolutely. And I'll provide all of those links in the show notes as well. Now, often the excuse when people start meditation is, I don't have enough time or I, I constantly have thoughts during my meditation. I can't do this. What's your objective handling for that yeah look i mean the time thing is obviously a big thing these days because we feel like we have less time of course we still have the same amount of time but we've just done a really good job of making a lot of higher priorities which is being on instagram or checking emails or having more meetings with people uh, as a preference over going into stillness so um, there's just literally 24 hours in a day in each hour, there's three blocks of 20 minutes. That's 72 20-minute segments allocated to your day to seeking fulfillment. Every single action is motivated in the quest to be fulfilled. That's cleaning your bathroom floor, doing your grocery shopping, working in a tin cannery, going to the gym, going to the movies, making love, having a sleep. Uh, everything is motivated. Every action at that subtlest intention is motivated to get fulfilled. And the big question is, are you fulfilled? And if your 24-hour time allocation is leading to a deep sense of uh, spiritual fulfillment, deep fulfillment, relationship fulfillment, financial fulfillment, um, fulfillment on all levels, then keep doing what you're doing and you're on a good run. But if it's not, and that's where I was at, I was deeply depressed, anxious, miserable, making a ton of money, but my allocation of time just simply wasn't leading to fulfillment. So... When we're in a state of outcome-oriented fulfillment, that is where I need outcomes to happen in my life to make me feel fulfilled, which is 99% of the world's population. 
I need an acquisition or an experience to trigger a response in my being, my personality, my ego, to make me feel elevated. Whether it's getting some more ice cream or getting more likes on my Instagram posts or going for a jog, there's something that needs to happen that will trigger a, a, a subject-object phenomenon where I start to feel elevated as a result of that. And what that does, it disempowers us because these experiences or acquisitions aren't always there, which means that our ability to be fulfilled gets eroded. And sometimes those acquisitions might be stripped away from us. Like when we say acquisition, let's just call it our partner. You suddenly, you know, I'll be so happy when I marry that person. And then three months later or three years later or six years later, they say they want to be with someone else. Mm. Or we get a new job and we feel really exciting. Then we get retrenched and we feel really sad. So we're in this constant flux of being fulfilled and unfulfilled. But what we can do is we can take some of that autonomy, that power into our own hands and experience an internal fulfillment. We call it self-referred fulfillment. And, um, and that's where we experience that deep inner bliss and joy and love that's inherent within us through the art of meditation. What that does is it takes off all the pressure of your outside world, your external world, your world of relativity to be the source of fulfillment because you've already got it. And here's the ironic thing about this is that if you already have a sensation or an experience and a vibration of being fulfilled, interestingly, what starts to happen in your relative field of life is that things kind of start working out. Things start attracting into you based upon that frequency. It's kind of like this perverse um, paradox that, you know, it's like, I'm trying so hard to get something to make me feel fulfilled, but it keeps moving away from me. So I'm in a state of, uh, you know, lacking of fulfillment. But then when I find an internal fulfillment, interestingly, all these things that I don't really need them to make me feel fulfilled start appearing in my life, like sustainable long-term relationships and really good health and a really good job that just lasts years and years or, you know, the ability to get car parks when you go out to dinner with your friends and all sorts of things. Yeah. And I, I can so resonate with that. Interestingly enough, that happened when I met my partner, Joel, where I had all of these toxic practices in my life where I was looking for that external fulfillment. So like going out and partying and, you know, excessive exercising and whatever else. And I was in really toxic relationships, not only with my, like my partner at the time, but also a few friends who didn't understand the career drive that I had. But then as soon as I started working on myself and working on a meditation practice and having that internal fulfillment that wasn't with purchasing new things or anything like that, Joel entered into my life. So it's really beautiful how that can start to happen and relationships can start to flourish and you become more abundant in all areas of life. Now, you released this documentary, which I absolutely love, and a book and an app. Can you tell the listeners more about it? Yeah, I was really passionate about meditation. I really wanted to inspire people around the world to make it part of their life. I just could see how much as a gateway to our innate nature, what we'd been ignoring for so long, um, to, to give people access to something they might not know existed there. Um, and so I wanted to use multiple devices to bring that message to the world. And one of them was film. I, I'm a very big film fan. I love films, love movies. And um, I really like the idea of using film as a storytelling device. And so we wanted to bring a documentary to the world that was about stories because stories are undeniable. You know, I can lecture you on why you should meditate and you could probably find reasons why not to meditate, which is totally understandable. And I respect that. But if someone has a personal experience 
we can't invalidate that. So no one can invalidate my story because it's true for me. And it might not be true for anyone else, but it's 100% true for me. And that's what I wanted to convey in the film was people's individual stories that would use meditation to move through crisis and break the coding of the software of their mind to upgrade that into a new experience where they're no longer attached to their upbringing or to the, 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 you know, their generational coding. And they could start with a clean slate in every moment and create whatever life they wanted to create. And that, that past life journey that they'd been on wasn't still playing out in this recycled loop that they keep going through. And that's what we really wanted to show in the film. And so we searched the world to find these. We did 300 interviews, 300 different stories that we scoured to find, A, obviously they needed some, some key factors in that story, some boxes ticked, which was that they needed to have a crisis and they needed to move through that crisis using meditation. Because there's a multitude of things that people can use to move through crisis. You know, plant-based medicine and therapy and, um, you know, qigong or yoga or whatever. We just wanted to focus on the one that I was skilled in. Um, so we needed that. And we also needed the story to have some sort of global theme. We were looking for stories that touched on potential global crisis. And it was really interesting where we're at now. We'd been, I'd been really sort of, interested and passionate, not passionate, but interested in the idea of Rashi and crisis and had this sense of an impending global crisis of some sort. We were sort of looking at different themes that that crisis could be because a crisis is really a shake-up in evolution to dislodge a block when a process has become stuck. And so we were exploring global themes of a global crisis based upon the particular status quo that the human species had been sustaining and maintaining, which was unsustainable. And why a crisis would needed would needed to be triggered the, and dislodge that current status quo, and we looked at AI going wrong. We looked at nuclear. We looked at environmental. We looked at economic. Uh, interestingly, there was one that we didn't contemplate in our global scenario of crisis, which was pandemic. Um, we did know that there was about people had said there was about eight potential global crises. Pandemic was one of them, but we didn't cover it but we were looking for themes in the personal stories that would fit into those global themes. So human displacement war, things like that. Um, and so these were some of the prerequisites that we we're looking for in those stories. And that's yeah, ultimately what we end up with our six stories. Mm, and the stories are so moving, even though you couldn't like personally relate to it. So for example, one of the men, was in the army and not that I'd ever been in the army, but I could connect to him still and think of not the same story, but a, a different crisis that I personally had or a different challenge that I had. And it was really beautiful. And your, who was the executive? Jackie. Yeah, Jackie. The, Jackie, the director. Yeah. So she, you, you did an amazing job and I really want to watch it again. So where can people see the film? Yeah, it's an interesting shift we're in at the moment. The film had been in cinemas uh, through hosted screening. So we did distribution ourselves in different cinemas around the world, Australia and America and New Zealand. And then it went into hosted screenings where a host could then nominate to put that film in the cinema and then they would host that screening and bring their community to it. And then we were going into what's called licensed screenings, which is in yoga studios, meditation centres, schools, libraries, prisons, hospitals, anywhere where it was still communal. We really wanted to stretch out the communal experience for the the screening but that's obviously had to be nipped in the bud now so now we're kind of 
clamoring to get it out digitally. So we're, we're talking to a number of different um, digital platforms, you know, your Hulas, your Amazons, your Netflix, your stands, um, and, and some other platforms as well, like FanForce who have got some digital capability or whether we do it ourselves on our own website. So we're looking at different ways that we want to get it out fairly quickly. So it's a matter of just trying to catch up uh, from being a bit caught short. We'd sort of plan to be in the communal space for another six months. But um, obviously with everyone at home now, it's a great time to get a film about crisis and shifting through crisis with meditation out to the world as quickly as possible. Yeah. And when you have that link, I'll be sure to share it with everyone. And they can obviously download the app and purchase the book in the meantime. Now, before we get to our closing questions, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I think we could touch on fear Mm -hmm. because it's such a big topic in the world right now. And, you know, I know a lot of people are struggling with fear. And if we really want to look at fear, and it's understandable that we have these sensations of fear, we don't want to you know, de- deny ourselves something that we might be experiencing and say, I shouldn't feel this. But we do want to make sure that it doesn't run rampant and take a sort of be like a runaway train. Um, you know, if we've got a marauding tribe or a saber-toothed tiger pouncing out from around us, then of course, it's understandable that our physiology will change and we'll have certain symptoms and sensations to protect us in that moment and help us to act quickly. When we sustain fear on a long-term basis, we keep projecting into the future. So fear is an anagram, future events appearing real. Mm. So the fear is that we're not actually in this moment where um, unless we're having a life and death situation, then we should be very, very present. But when we continually keep thinking about things in the future that may or may not happen, then we get these long-term ramifications of having that mental framework, which happens to be an emotional and physiological framework as well. So the best way to help with fear is to be very, very present um, and to slow, uh, to recognize when our body is triggered into this uh, state and to be mindful of doing what we can to bring it out of that state. And, mm. you know, meditation will help. But sometimes, you know, we, outside of our meditation, we do need to be proactive in our awareness state. That's when we're eyes open and not in meditation. So that's where mindfulness will come in. And, you know, it's tricky, you know, fear still pops up in my life at times. And so, um, you know, I observe that when it's coming through my body and being very present and mindful and having a deep sense of it's going to be okay. The divine is there within us and there's this powerful, supportive, um, paternal sort of energy or field that is moving through us. And when we get out of our our mind that is projecting into the future and come into that heart centered divinity within us, we'll find everything just starts to soothe down and come down. And it's, it's easy for us to get distorted and disturbed out of that state, but then it's practice to keep coming back into that state and just, um, just really try to move through each day and each moment with as much peace and, um, and calmness inside of us and a connection to a inner divinity that, um, Will, will keep us sustained through these difficult times. Beautiful. And I love having steps for the listeners to jot down. So when they do have a fearful thought, what are the steps that they should take to put them back into their center and realize that it's a future state thought and to reflect internally? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's partly to come out of the mind. Uh, that's where the problem lies. Is it in the mind it's projecting and it's moving into the future? 
Um, so you can come to the census is a really simple process and it's being very proactive with the census. So asking yourself um, with going through each sense, what am I seeing? So I'd say I'm seeing tomorrow um, or I'm seeing my computer, I'm seeing my laptop, I'm seeing the tree blowing, I'm seeing the sun shining. What am I hearing? And trying to notice the subtlest of noises in your environment. Uh, what am I feeling? So what textures under your skin, what gentle breeze on your cheek or the sun on your skin? You know, what are the subtle senses that you can feel? And what am I smelling? Is there any things that you can smell in your local environment? Uh, what am I tasting? Is there any residual taste of my morning porridge and the blueberries that had a sort of sweet and tartness that was lingering on the tongue? So what happens when we come to the present is all our stresses and fears melt away because our fears are something that's in the future. And when we're in the present, we experience the simplicity and you'll find that in each moment, like I said, unless there's someone pulling a knife uh, in a dark lane way, most of the time in each moment, no matter what our circumstances in each moment, in this moment here right now, there's a freedom and there's a peace. Mm. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to jot that down after I re-listen mm. to this episode and have it in my notes and just have that as a reminder when I do have those Thanks. thoughts. So thank you. Now, how can people support, follow and or connect with you? They could go to enterthePortal.com, which is where they can see the trailer for the film. They can buy the book and get all these book bonuses. We've got some amazing book bonuses if they buy the book. Um, they can download the app. They can about to release our masterclass on overcoming anxiety and depression. And they can go to tomcronin.com where I do coaching programs um, for people, retreats and weekend workshops. Beautiful. Now let's change gears a little bit. I have a few last closing questions. I was getting nervous for this. <laughs> <laughs> They're not bad. Okay. <laughs> so what's one thing that we can do to achieve gender quality in the tech industry? I would recognize that there, although we have gender, um, there's really uh, a consciousness within the form and recognize that that consciousness is, um, is no different. It's no different. It's just consciousness. It has a heart and has uh, a mind and whether it's in a, a female apparatus or a male apparatus, uh, it's still consciousness and relate on that level. Mm, that is so beautiful. Thank you. What's one piece of advice that you would give to yourself at the age of 25? Start meditating. Mm. <laughs> Don't wait till I was 29. <laughs> <laughs> what do you wish they had taught you at school, but they didn't? To meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I would actually love that in schools. I'm not sure if they do that. Do they do that at your son or daughter's school? Uh, no, very few schools. They've, it's amazing how slow they are to pick this up. The schools that have embraced it, um, it's been mind blowing. The science is there. The stats is there. It's quite phenomenal. Um, there's one school in America where it's compulsory that they do a 20, a morning meditation and an afternoon meditation, 
when they arrive at school and before they go home. And that school is in the top 1% in every faculty. That's drama, that's sport, that's English, it's maths, it's geography, and it's a non-selective school. It's the only prerequisite, but they're accessing the the children's innate potential. They're opening up their minds to greater possibilities. They're having less stress, less judgment, less um, egoic sort of narcissistic tendencies, like what do people think of me or I'm better than someone else. So all of that just melts away and you have much better functioning children. So yeah, yeah, we're a bit slow to catch up on that. That's so beautiful. And other than your own books, what's one book that you would recommend for females in tech to read? Females in tech to read, even though we're not going into a gender bias. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, it's interesting. This is really out there now that you've asked that question. I would normally say something like Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle or or things like Emmanuel's book by Pat Rodgast. But, um, you know, it's really interesting. There's a book out there that I was given by a woman who's a barrister and Mm. it was called Way of the Superior Male by David Data. And why she recommended it to me because I'd get a lot out of it and I did get a lot out of it and I recommend it to most guys. But it was interesting why she was reading it was because it gave her greater insight into the understanding of men. Mm. And, and then from there, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic when you understand the psychology and what makes a man tick and, um, and why we have these certain traits and you know, anomalies or characteristics, whatever you want to call them. Um, so that could be something that could help people maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I've read that book. So there's actually a male and female version now. All oh, right. What's is, the female one? I didn't know that. Uh, is it by David Data? Yeah, it is. Mm, I'll have to check it out. That's good to know. I've always been wanting to Dear Lover. a female book. It's Dear Lover. Oh, Dear Lover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a great book. Yeah. Okay. So super cool. inspirational and it's really transformed the way Joel and my relationship dynamic works and even just the way that I obviously work in a male dominated industry and the way that I work with men as well. So it's, it's definitely a good read. Yeah. That's awesome. That concludes the end of the females in tech show episode with yourself, Tom Cronin. I absolutely loved it. And my heart was so warm throughout the whole episode. And I'm sure the listeners will also feel that deep sense of self and connection whilst listening to this episode. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge. I absolutely loved it. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for such great question. Very poignant. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like more information about today's show, you can read my show notes and any relevant links at fitcollective.com forward slash 19. That's F-I-I-T collective.com forward slash 19. I am so grateful for this opportunity to serve the females in tech community and hope you find the information helpful and inspiring. My goal is to inspire you to reach your goals and provide you with the practical tips on how to be the best version of yourself. If you did enjoy the show, then I'd like to ask for three things in return so that I can educate and inspire more career-motivated women and male allies. One, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app to ensure you don't miss an episode. Two, 
share the episode with any friends or colleagues that might benefit from the content I'm sharing. And three, please leave a review in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app and tell me what you love, but also where I can improve. I am here to serve you and I welcome your feedback.